Thanks, Elizabeth. Let's take a moment to pray as we come to God's word together. Lord our God, give us grace to hear and receive your word. Help us to bring forth the fruit of your spirit. Through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember two decades ago, one September morning, waking up and walking out into the kitchen at home, and my dad said to me, two planes have just flown into buildings in the US. Do you know what my first thought was? Oh, well, probably happens every day in the US, doesn't it? I'm hungry. Where's the wheat bix I totally missed what a momentous event this was, how it would bring disruption and change and, and fear, not just in the US, but around the world. Sadly, that wasn't the only event that's brought fear and disruption to our world. Uh, even here in Australia, the last 18 months have been full of fear and disruption. Uh, if you think back, if you can remember back to the end of 2019, uh, the devastating bushfires up and down the East Coast, uh, they felt apocalyptic. And then, of course, a pandemic, uh, unlike anything we've experienced in our lifetime. Routine daily life is no longer routine. Perhaps it's been replaced by a new routine. Lockdowns, restrictions on our freedom that we could scarcely have imagined a couple of years ago, and horrific images in our news, uh, not even so much from developing countries as we might have seen in the past, but from Italy and New York, uh, as well as India more recently. Death and suffering on a global scale. We're living through a scary time. The ABC recently published the results of their Australia Talk survey. They quizzed over 60,000 Australians on their views. I'm fascinated by some of the most common fears and concerns. Uh, some won't surprise you. 68% of us are pessimistic about the future of our world. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because of COVID or climate change or concerns about our relationship with China or other factors, but the world feels unstable. We have personal fears too. 72% of respondents are worried that climate change will affect them. 62% of us are concerned about having enough money for retirement. And 27%, one in four people, are worried about losing their job in the next year. And of course, we have specific fears around COVID as well. Some of us are worried about contracting the virus for ourselves. Some of us are worried particularly for our loved ones. Some Australians hold fears about the safety of the vaccine. Some Australians hold fears about the vaccine hesitancy of others and the slow rollout of the vaccine. I'm making myself anxious just talking through these fears, perhaps you too are feeling a little more uneasy. It's not surprising that we feel under siege at the moment and just exhausted from a year of and more of change and disruption and 
and managing our fears, uh, perhaps those around us, the fears of those around us as well. We've heard the term unprecedented uh, often enough for a lifetime. And yet, this time is not unprecedented when we take a broader view. This level of fear and anxiety is not unprecedented. Human societies have endured times like this before. And our prophet Isaiah speaks into a similar moment of international instability and and social crisis as well. Uh, If you remember from our last couple of weeks, Isaiah is a prophet in the kingdom of Judah in the 700s BC. And the political background to these words is actually really helpful for understanding what's going on in this passage. So uh, bear with me as we dive into the history for a moment or two, and I've got a couple of maps for us as well. Uh, Let's have the the first one up. Thanks, Justin. Uh, You might remember how after the Exodus... Uh, God divides up the promised land between the 12 tribes of Jacob, the the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, And you can see the the division there. Uh, But after the reigns of King David and King Solomon, there's conflict. They split into two kingdoms. The 10 tribes to the north. Oh, let's just go back one, Justin, just for a sec. Uh, The 10 tribes to the north, so that's most of them there, uh, retain the name Israel. Well, the tribes of Judah, that's the big green one at the bottom, and the tribe of Benjamin, which is the little yellow one uh, just above the lake, just above next to Judah there. Benjamin and Judah unite in the south, and they tend to get called Judah around the ancient capital of Jerusalem. Uh, So we'll go on to the the next map. Uh, So this is a, a little bit later, more around Isaiah's time. You've got Judah is the southern red kingdom there. Uh, You've got just above Judah, the the large orange sprawling kingdom, that's Israel, that northern kingdom, the ten tribes. And keep your eye on Aram, the green uh, country a bit further north of Israel. Because in Isaiah's day, Israel, the orange, and Aram, the green, get together and form an alliance, and they decide to invade Judah. They're going to go to war against Judah. They march down to invade Now remember that invasion is a brutal fate in the ancient world. It is not fun. Imagine you're living in a small farming village like most people in this time. And one day a foreign army marches through. They kill your young men, maybe more. They burn the town. They seize your food supplies. They trample your crops and your fertile land. There are no international conventions to stop war crimes or to to limit civilian casualties. There are no aid organisations or or treaties to look after displaced refugees. As one ancient Greek historian said, the strong do what they can and the weak suffer what they must. You can imagine the lasting impact of trauma and oppression and poverty after an invasion. So with this threat looming over them, the people of Judah are frightened. They're they're scared. And they do what frightened and disempowered people in every generation do. What we often see happen. They look for 
uh, control. Uh, We hear that they start to imagine conspiracies, according to verse 11. They, They speculate about the secret evil intent of the powerful. And they also look to mediums and spiritists to consult the dead for guidance in verse 19. They're they're going to occult and pagan practices to regain some sense of control about their future. Uh, We know of this happening earlier in Israel's history as well. King Saul, when he is particularly afraid and feels like God has turned his face away from him, uh, Saul goes to consult a medium at Endor, we're told. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 28. So this wasn't that unusual in a sense. And before we write this off as an ignorant ancient superstition, we must remember that uh, it's not actually simply an ancient phenomenon. I don't need to tell you how conspiracy theories have flourished in the last few years. And looking for guidance is universal in a sense. We too look for guidance in these times of uncertainty. Uh, perhaps you turn to Dr. Norman Swan and the Coronacast podcast uh, as your guidance through these times. Perhaps you look to the popular opinions of friends on Facebook. Uh, perhaps you listen to the advice of loved ones. In times of fear and uncertainty, we, we all look for guidance. So in that context, perhaps it's uh, more understandable, less surprising than it might be, that For French young adults between 18 and 24, uh, belief in parasciences, that's things like astrology and tarot cards, uh, it's about 70% of French young adults express a belief in in some of that, uh, which I found astonishingly high. Even here in Melbourne, uh, I was chatting with a a member from our church. Uh, That person's allowed me to share how they discovered that most of their team at work had either visited a medium in Dalesford or or were planning to, about 80% of the team. Associate Professor Marguerite Johnson from the University of Newcastle says, uh, one theory she says is that magic is the last recourse for the disempowered. When we're afraid and powerless and and vulnerable, we, we reach for things that offer control, that offer guidance, including sometimes the occult. Fear can drive us to bad places. But in the midst of fear, in the midst of this search for guidance, God's word speaks with clarity and hope. Isaiah brings a message from God, a a rebuke for this people, but also words of hope. to to undermine, to challenge, to push back on their fear. And this this message from Isaiah has uh, three great things for us. He gives us a new and better fear to displace uh, the other fears and that won't drive them to bad places. He gives them a new and better guidance instead of their mediums and he points them to a new and better hope. So let's start with a better fear. And notice, it's not no fear. God isn't saying here, don't be afraid. 
but he's giving them something better to fear. Have a look at verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. Here is a better fear, Isaiah says. Don't fear what other fears that what others fear. That will take you to bad places. Fear God instead. Fear God, and He will be a, a holy place, a, a sanctuary, a, a refuge for you. Fear God, and you won't need to fear anything else. So friends, is it possible that our fears betray not so much a lack of faith, but a lack of fear of God? When I get anxious about changing restrictions and lockdowns, which I do, when I fear what will happen if our planet continues to warm or widespread conflict breaks out, I fear these things. When I fear them, is it possible that I've lost sight of God's majesty and power? He's become so familiar that I've lost sight of the Lord of Isaiah 6 whose train fills the temple, whose, whose voice shakes the whole earth. He is the one I am to regard as holy. He is the one I am to fear. What if instead of living in fear at every changing circumstance, instead of needing to jump at every little thing, I stand in awe of God. I respect and revere God. I treat Him as holy, the the one beyond reproach, the one worthy of all respect and honour. What if I kneel to say my prayers, not because of legalism, but because it is teaching me who God is? What if I address God as the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, as John shared last week, to remind myself of His awesome power? And what if I remember His power and protection, come what may? His love and justice, come what may? And let that vision of God drive out all other fear. As a teenager, I never wanted to talk about God. What if my friends found out that I actually went to church sometimes? But then one day, I'm on a church camp and God speaks to me. As we're looking at the Bible, I see God's holy love and power poured out for me on the cross. And it's like, God became real. He, he, I saw God in a totally new light. And in that utter reverence and delight in God, I couldn't help but tell the first person I saw when I was back at school. Perhaps you've had a similar time in your life. This is the new and better fear Isaiah speaks of. It's not a fear that leaves us quaking and paralysed 
but a fear that excites and motivates. And yet, for me, after a time, that vision, that that clarity waned. And I realised I needed to continue to focus and to continue to put, be, re, renew that, that fear of God. I need to continue to renew my reverence of, of God, renew that fear that replaces all other fears. And to do that, we need guidance from God. Just as God offers a better fear for his faithful people, so he offers better guidance. We saw how the fears of the people were leading them to seek out mediums and spiritists. So God says those who fear him should seek out his guidance. Did you notice how often this passage mentioned guidance from God, all the the different words for that? In verse 11, it talked about the Lord speaking through Isaiah. In verse 16, we have a testimony of warning and God's instruction uh, bound up so that it can be seen and, um, and kept and preserved for, for the future. In verse 18, Isaiah and his children are signs and symbols from the Lord. Uh, what's behind that is that Isaiah's name means the Lord saves. He himself is a message from God. And one of his sons is called quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Poor boy. Um, he's, he's a warning of coming invasion for the people of Judah. And Isaiah's other son is named a remnant will return, uh, a promise of hope from the Lord. Together they are signs for the people, their guidance from God. Uh, There's more mentions of this in our passage. Verse 19, people are encouraged to inquire of their God. Verse 20, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning again. Can you see God is speaking He's warning his people. He's guiding them. He wants them to listen to him, to hear his voice and follow his words. He wants the people of Judah to hear his warnings and trust him. Even though they feel like God has turned their face away and invasion is on the horizon, he is guiding them and speaking to them. And friends, he wants us to listen to his word and trust him as well. God speaks to us through the scriptures. These words that he spoke to his earlier people and that he now speaks to us through the power of his spirit as well. And so the great antidote to fear, if we're going to keep that vision of God's holiness, uh, his sovereignty constantly before our face, if we want the fear of God to drive out all other fears, then we need to keep God's word open in front of us. Where else do we see God's holiness so stunningly displayed? Where else do we see his beauty so clearly? Or his power so so tenderly? Take a moment to reflect How has the last 18 months or so affected your relationship with God? Have the the lockdowns and disruptions um, also disrupted your pattern of Bible reading and prayer? Or, Or have you come to rely on 
these habits all the more because through them you experience God's love and peace. If we're feeling that pressure of fear weighing on us, we need God's presence and guidance all the more. We need better guidance and only God's word can do that for us. Because only God's word can offer a better hope. A better hope than Norman Swan. A better hope even than a vaccine. An enduring and lasting hope. Listen to this promise uh, in chapter 9. Now, this is a common reading. You may have heard it at Christmas time. But imagine for a moment you're not at carols by candlelight as you hear this read. But imagine you're about to face invasion and devastation. You're, you're in the trenches in World War I. You're, you're in Darwin during the bombing of World War II. Imagine what these words would mean in that context. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. On the 8th of May 1945, Winston Churchill announced to the British people that the Nazi commanders had signed an unconditional surrender. One report states, years of carnage and destruction had come to an end. Millions of people took to the streets and pubs to celebrate peace, mourn their loved ones and to hope for the future. Years of suffering and privation turned to joy and jubilation. Kissing strangers on the street because a new day is dawning. This is God's promise to his people. Yes, there are dark days ahead, but a new light will dawn. Yes, God has turned his face away, but trust in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. A new day will dawn. And this new day is not like yesterday. It's not just a return to normal. Isaiah's promise is not just for another king of Judah and the preservation of that kingdom. His promise is a new kingdom and a new king altogether. That's why it's a new and better hope. Without this new king, it would not be a better hope. But there is a new king coming. Uh, don't hold your breath, Isaiah says. He still needs to be born yet. And in fact, the people of Judah will wait 700 years for this king. But come, he did. And now, 2,000 years later, we can say with Isaiah, verse 6, To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God himself comes to drive out all fear. To reign over his people. So when we read these verses at Christmas time and welcome the baby Jesus, not only do we welcome God's long-awaited king, but we say goodbye to fear. Fear thrives in the darkness, but this king will bring light. He will rescue his people from darkness and dismay. Fear thrives where there is weakness, but he is mighty God. Fear thrives where there is conflict and war, but he is the prince of peace. Fear thrives where there is confusion and misinformation, but he is the wonderful counsellor, full of wise guidance. Fear thrives where love fails, but he is everlasting father. As he said, I and the father are one. Fear thrives where there is injustice and suffering. But this king will uphold righteousness and justice. Brothers and sisters, you know this king. You know his reign in your life, the peace he gives you. You know how he has restored your relationship with God, given you peace with God, made you righteous before God. You know that his return will restore righteousness to the earth. As he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so for now, in these days, when we face those dark nights of fear and confusion, let us say with Isaiah verse 17, let me leave us with this, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. I will put my trust in him. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we bow down in reverent fear before you, Lord, for you are the great God, a great King above all kings. We turn to you in times of fear and times of dismay, times of darkness. Lord, for some of us who are there right now, we pray that you would give us such a vision of your awesome majesty that it would drive out all other fears. Lord, renew our fear of you. Help us to stand in awe before you. Would you help us not to fear what they fear? to fear you because uh, you are both more powerful and yet more loving and more just. Would you help us to hold on to the hope that you offer? And God, in your love and compassion, would you bring peace and justice, not only in our lives, but in our world? Through the mighty name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. 
Amen.